It's time for the Crunch Time Plays Podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. What's up, y'all? Liv Moose here. Hey, what's up? This is Danny Wexelman. Hey, everyone. I'm Steffi Smalls. What's up, everyone? It's Ben Lindsay. This is Andrea Carter. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin. And you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Crunch Time Plays today. Whether you're watching us on YouTube, listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, thanks so much. And we're talking about college football today, some changes in the landscape going on, so many great things happening for the sport. And we've got Zach Barnett from Football Scoop today. Zach, what's up, brother? Hey, thank you for having me. Hey, you're welcome. And and so for those those who don't know, I know Football Scoop's been around uh, for a little while, but y'all doing an amazing job tracking all the all the coaching searches and different things like that. I know that's really important in this changing landscape that we're in, but can you just describe, you know, how, how football scoop started and what are the main things you guys are doing now? Yeah. So it was started uh, back in 1999, which uh, was, as I understand the, the, uh, the BC era of the internet uh, by a guy who was a GA at TCU at the time and was going on the internet, looking for jobs and figured if I'm doing this, there's hundreds thousands of people doing exactly the same thing I'm doing. So I should just start a website wherever that'll be a one-stop shopping for, for coaching jobs. And so he ran it on his own uh, through 2007 when he got a head coaching job and realized, you know, he can't do both at the same time. So he sold it to uh, my boss, Scott uh, Roussel in 2007. Uh, I came aboard in 2012. And so, um, you know, what I like to say is, you know, we are, you know, every when Nick Saban steps down at Alabama uh, in 2057, everyone is going. Everyone in the world is going to cover that one, as will we. But we're really the only one, that, the only site that will cover that. And then this morning, you know, we we broke some Western Michigan news. We broke some D2 news. Um, you know, we we cover, you know, we cover football, but mainly college football, really from top to bottom. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Y'all do an amazing job. Encourage everybody to, to go check out Football Scoop for all that news. And and we've had so many changes in the landscape. You know, we're diving into some college football expansion talk here. You know, the, we had the proposed format last week of the 12 teams. What what Were there any surprises to you about that 12-team proposed format? Well, you know, Notre Dame not being able to get a bye was a little bit of a surprise to me. But – and then a couple other things were surprises as well. What were some of the the main takeaways from your your proposed format, and, and what what do you like and dislike about it? Yeah, I consider myself uh, a bit of a traditionalist. So I initially I thought four was going to be the perfect number, and I uh, resisted anyone that said anything be above four would be uh, would be the right number, just because I thought uh, the magic of college football is that it, the regular season is the playoff. And, uh, you know, any game matters. And if, if you don't believe me, then go talk to 2007 Michigan after they lost to App State. Uh, but then, you know, as, as the years the years that went on proved me wrong, uh, I, I did think it needed to expand just because it, it got stale. And the I, along with anyone else, we no one could have foreseen how playoff-centric the entire sport had become. So if, if everything was going to be pointing towards the end, you needed to include the entire country. So... When they announced twelve, I, I, I got really excited. I, I like the format. I like the the automatic bids mixed with the the at large bids. The, the, to answer your question, what really surprised me was I thought it would be just be 
the the five plus one, the the five guaranteed power five champions plus one group of five champion. And so I really like the change to just do top six conference champions uh, because you know if uh, seven and five Pittsburgh happens to upset twelve and O Clemson. I like that we're still not just going to pretend that they're one of the 12 best teams in the country just just because they had one good afternoon. Uh, so, you know, this past season, uh, Coastal Carolina and Cincinnati would have been in the field, and I think that's great. I wish we could have seen a 12-team playoff for this past season because that, that Coastal team was special, and they deserve to be part of it. Uh, and so – and then reserving the top four, four conference champions, I think uh, will we'll keep teams driving toward – the end. So, you know, a, a 2017 Alabama team that won the national title, they, they obviously would have been in part of this field, but they would have had to play an extra game. And I, I think that's fair. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And I, I, I was really, I was kind of surprised by the fact that, that we didn't have, you know, the, the power five getting an automatic bid plus one group of five. But I, I really do like that because, you know, it brings me into the, the beneficiaries of this, proposed format and that is really the group of five i mean you mentioned it we talked about it coastal carolina and cincinnati both would have been in the field this past season and when you're talking about the money that the new college football playoff is going to bring in i know i know you wrote a great article on this that it could bring up you know close to two billion dollars in, in revenue and you know that's so great in this arms race that we're dealing with you know trying to build the best facilities getting the best recruits and the group of five, especially, you know, when you think about a guy like Gus Malzahn who just took the, the UCF job, who, you know, I th thought it was perfect timing for him because I thought the college football playoff was going to expand. And then this proposed format just makes it even more beneficial for, you know, the Americans specifically because they have the, you know, the top group of five teams every year. But just, you know, it's just amazing. Like how never really thought that, they could be that big of a beneficiary from all this. Yeah. And so uh, I think the most recent numbers we have was uh, I believe the power five leagues got 67 million, something like that. And then the group of five split uh, 92 million among the five of them just from the playoff alone. So obviously the pie is going to grow. Uh, how much it grows it remains to be seen. Nobody knows that answer at this point. I think the interesting thing moving forward will be uh, can the, college athletics, these, these uh, 10 conferences bring in, you know, even if it's a billion and a half per year, can they bring that in under the current economic model without specifically uh, cutting players into, if you make the playoff, we're going to cut checks to all hundred players on each of these 12 teams. Because I mean, to, to make 1.5 billion, 2 billion per year and be like, yep, uh, it's going to facilities, it's going to uh, coaching salaries, it's going to the softball team, and we'll donate some of it to the athletics to, or to the university. And we're going to ask uh, these, these unpaid college athletes, even though they will be able to receive name, image, likeness deals, you know, we're going to ask them to play 17 games and we're not going to cut them any checks of our own. You know, I, I don't know that the public is going to accept that. Now, will, will that stop the the presidents and the commissioners from doing it? No, but uh, it, it's going to be an uproar if they don't cut athletes in specifically. One of the things people have been talking about is how, how much the SEC is going to benefit from this. You know, SEC pretty much was going to benefit from any 
you know, college football playoff expansion format. But no, Greg Sankey's gotten to be a pretty powerful voice in the room. How, what kind of impression do you think he left on that that playoff working group? And that he was part of those four people about having those six at large spots instead of going, you know, to like an 18 field where the SEC could only, you know, they they could realistically get you know, two or three teams in, but now they have the potential to get maybe even four teams in. Right. And so, uh, you know, there's a good chance it would have gone to 12 otherwise, just because you're bringing four more teams in, that's four more games. Uh, you know, that's maybe 400 more million dollars per year for the new TV deal. But with Sankey involved, that's definitely what pushed it to 12 was because that was the compromise. The the Pac-12, the Big 12, the group of five weren't expanding without some sort of guarantee bids. And the SEC wasn't expanding without opening up the at-large bids because obviously they believe they're going to get most of them in, in any given year. And so that that I think that's why we got to 12 so painlessly is because it was such an, an easy and obvious compromise. Um you know, will you know the, the obvious? You know, people are saying, "Oh, the SEC is going to get six every year." Uh, you know, in 2019, the sixth best SEC team was unranked Texas A&M. So, you know, I think we should tap the brakes there. I'm sure there'll be plenty of years where they get five, uh, three or four will probably be the baseline. But um, you know, this past year, uh, Georgia struggled like heck with Cincinnati uh, to win that game. Obviously, uh, Alabama went out and lost to Utah uh, many years back. Uh, Auburn lost to UCF. So uh, the the excuse for all those games of, well, it was a bowl game, we didn't really care. Uh, moving forward, those will be playoff games, and so that excuse will be gone. So it, that that's going to be one of the, the many fun subplots of this new 12-team era we're going to move into. There's no doubt about that. And, and one of the – one of the things I felt like was the the driving factor and kind of wanting to get this done, you know, right now was the, the was the hardships that that COVID left on every athletics department. I know a lot of a lot of athletics departments are facing, you know, 25, 30 million dollar deficits for the past year and where some of those, you know, can afford to, to make up that deficit. Some can't. But do you think that was more of the driving force for trying to get something done so quickly. I know the working committee has been working on this for the past couple of years, but it seemed like the hardships really accelerated the process a little bit. Yeah, I think it was definitely part of it. Uh, I, I think it's a confluence of factors. Uh, you have, uh, I mean, really the PAC 12 in any given year, you know, if you're, if you're uh, West of Norman, Oklahoma from mid October on you, you were on the outside looking in. So I think that was a lot of it was this new format will will make, you know, if you're still alive to win the Pac-12 North at, you know, in your eight and eight and three, seven and three, something like that, then you're still alive to win the national championship. So I think that was first and foremost, uh, just the the idea that it had become such a closed system um, was certainly, but I, I definitely, I, to your point, uh, there's no uh, better way to, to tie it over, you know, some, some left, some tough times than knowing that you're going to have a massive payday uh, coming soon. And then another uh, factor I think was, uh, you know, the, the TV contract runs out here. Uh, 2025 is the last season of the original 12-year deal. So you need to have your ducks in a row. So uh, moving forward, I, you know, they said that 2023 will be the, the it won't change before then, but it, I, I think uh, 2023, it could change. So 
what to watch out for moving forward was do they keep the season, the 14 playoff through 2025 and play out the current deal and then go to the open market where potentially you could have ESPN, Fox, CBS, Amazon all bidding, and maybe you you drive the price up, maybe you split between ESPN and Fox, or does ESPN pony up, you know, the two billion a year to uh, to start the new twelve team format in twenty twenty three and keep it exclusively on their airwaves? So, what is the number that ESPN is willing to pay to keep it all in house? You know, what is the number that the conferences will take to? avoid going to the open market. I think that's the fascinating thing to watch moving forward. One of the, the kind of the topics of, of discussion has been whether or not this new playoff format is going to kind of level the playing field a little bit. I know we, we're so gotten used to seeing the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Ohio States, the Oklahomas of the world in the playoff the last few years. But whenever you talk about being able to generate more revenue, being able to enhance the facilities for teams – you know, outside of those four, the possibility of keeping recruits at home. You know, we think about, you know, like a state of Florida that has so many great recruits, possibly keeping those recruits at home due to the, due to, due to the facilities, different upgrades, different things like that. NIL and the transfer portal are obviously a big impact in leveling the playing field. But how does it level the playing field and all? And if so, how much? I think it does slightly, but I don't think it takes – I, I, don't, I don't think you need total parity for it to become more interesting. Uh, you know, I think of guys like um, DJ Uangalele. Uh, I, I just butchered that word. I, I'm going to be – get back to me in six months. I'll be a lot better at pronouncing that than I am today. Uh, and Bryce Young, you know, two Southern California quarterbacks who uh, back in the day, you know, not too long ago, that one of them would have been at USC, the other would have been at UCLA, maybe Oregon. But uh, they end up at Alabama and Clemson you know, because they want to play in big time games and then go to the NFL. And so perhaps in a system where, you know, USC and or Oregon are guaranteed a shot at the field, maybe that's enough to keep them, you know, from, from moving two, 3000 miles from home. And uh, guys like that, you know, I, I, I don't think that suddenly uh, USC is going to, you know, uh, knock Alabama off its perch, but maybe it's just, you know, two, three, four, impact players away from at least making it close uh so i i, I at the end of the day players the the five-star recruits four-star recruits if you're a five or a four-star you think you are headed to the nfl so at the end of the day players are going to go where the nfl uh where they think they're going to get to the nfl but uh now a if you're the head coach at usc at cal at at Oregon, you go to you know the next Bryce Young's living room and say, "Hey, you come here, you win the back 12 you will play in this new 12-team tournament." And so maybe that's enough to keep a couple of those guys home, and then maybe from there the seesaw evens out a little bit. And kind of moving on from the the playoff discussion before we get into the second half, talking about this season, I wanted to ask you about NIL. I know Georgia had five guys. Uh, wrote a great article about this as well, being able to to sign with a the Omer Reserve, who, of course, is, is owned by a former uh, Georgia alum football player there. And then, you know, are there any other NIL deals that, that you're aware of that are already uh, on the market for some of these states that's going to go into effect on July 1st? And, and it is 
is Omar Reserve, you know, the the, the first one that, that you're aware of? And if so, what what are kind of some other deals that you're hearing about that athletes could possibly be making? Yeah, so it was pretty funny. After that story came out, uh, then uh, they, uh, I think the, the Atlanta paper had to come out and say, hey, oh, this has just been offered to these kids. Nothing's been signed. Uh, it, it's just, it, it could happen because I, I think pretty quickly it was like, Hey, we're, we're not in this world yet. Uh, it's still June. So, uh, that one is not official, even though I fully expect it to be. So I think, uh, you know, until July 1st, I think all those deals will become under wraps will, will remain under wraps. But I think, you know, I, I can't name you any specifically, but I I'd be surprised if we don't, if it's not lunchtime, July 1st, and you scroll Twitter and there's all sorts of, hey, uh, I'm signed with them. I'm signed with them. I mean, that that marketplace has very much been underway. You know, this is years building, but I that marketplace is, is very well active uh, and, and will become even more so once we hit July 1st. How many like conflicting brand, conflicting interest of brands could we see? Do you think schools are, are going to allow, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a Pepsi school and a, and a coat and coat wants to, you know, sign a, a few of my players or, or if I'm, you know, a, a Nike school, but Under Armour wants to pay, wants to pay to play my players to wear their products off the field. What are there any kind of guardrails that schools are going to put on NIL to say that you can't sign with any conflicting brands that the school may have? Yeah, so that that's been a sticking point. I think uh, you know most of these state laws that have passed include language like that, like you can't uh, that, that yeah you to use your example, uh, if I'm an Ohio State kid at at Nike at a Nike school, you know I can't sign with Adidas or or at least Ohio State has the right to refuse that deal. Uh, so I think the the interesting thing moving forward will be if. Uh, if Ohio State, you know, if, if I'm Bobby's mufflers and I'm and I'm not the official muffler provider of Ohio State athletics, but I want to uh, to get Garrett Wilson, uh, will, how how vigorous will Ohio State be? Because I mean, the interesting thing, move this is going to be a recruiting uh, thing more than anything, and so anything that a school does to uh, hurt athletes getting paid is going to hurt them in recruiting. You know, you saw it in Georgia. Their state law they passed included language to where um, the the school had the option of taking, you know, I think it was up to 75% of what each athlete earned and distributing that to the entire athletic, you know, e- each athlete. And every Division One school in Georgia was like, no, we're, we're not doing that. You know, our kids can keep what they earned uh, because that would have been suicide in recruiting. So I, 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 at the top level, no, you're not going to see, uh, you know, uh, Bryce Young where you know repping Under Armour at a, at a Nike school. But how vigorous does it get down from there? Only time will tell. Yeah, I mean, I whenever I I saw the the Georgia law about the the 75, percent I was like, there's no way that Georgia's going to do that because they got they have to keep up in the arms race. I mean, like you like you mentioned, it would be you know recruiting suicide from there. And and speaking of recruiting, I wanted to ask you kind of moving away from the kind of the changing landscape and more to current topics, but, but Texas, I know you're, you're a Texas alum. I wanted to ask you about Steve Sarkeesian, the hire, what you made of it. And then they had a bit huge recruiting weekend over the weekend. Arch Manning was in town, the highly touted 2023 quarterback had a lot of, a lot of other top prospects as well. 
just what have you kind of heard from from the weekend, and what do you make of Sark as a hire? Yeah, I when I first uh, heard about that, I was like, you know, I could look really good at calling plays for that team. Uh, but uh, the more I dug into it, the more I, I sank my teeth into it, more people I talked to, uh, I thought I think it was a really smart hire. I think it was a really gutsy hire uh, because the Texas thing, you know, the the weird Texas um, mantra that the athletic department lives by you know, a lot of times can kind of hamstring them in their thinking that, well, we only hire sitting head coaches because we're Texas. And, and across the sports, you know, if you want to be the head coach of Texas, you pretty much have to be an active head coach somewhere else. So obviously Sark has been a head coach before, but he wasn't at the time. And so it, it was a little bit of a risk to hire a guy who uh, was an offensive coordinator at Alabama, obviously, and flamed out in his last chance at USC. So I, I think um, – I think it shows Texas really did its due diligence in uh, sticking its neck out for the to hire Sark, and he's built a really good staff. And uh, as you mentioned, recruiting is going really well right now. Um, you know, every coach recruits really well for his first full class. You know, that new car smell is a very real phenomenon uh, within Texas, but I think or within college football. So Texas is is writing that as anybody else would, but. Um, you know, as you mentioned, they're after some really hot, some really good guys right now. Arch Manning uh, being number one. You know, they think they're going to get him or at least be on the medal stand. And so th- that, but at the same time, I think a lot of recruits, especially some 2022 guys, are taking the wait and see approach with them because, you know, these kids were babies when Texas won a national championship. They haven't seen Texas really be good ever. So this is going to be a really interesting fall for Sark because if he goes out and I think, you know, uh, wins the Big 12 this fall, then I really think the sky's the limit. And I really do think Texas is going to be recruiting with Ohio State, with Alabama, with Clemson, with Georgia, you know, almost immediately. But if Texas goes out and goes six and six, seven and five, and it looks more like a Charlie Strong, Tom Herman team, then I really don't know where this goes because you can only reboot so many times re reboot the idea of Texas football before uh, people start to tune you out. And so, you know, Alabama is extremely active in Texas. Um, LSU, obviously a and really good. OU is really good. So I, I don't think the recruiting landscape in Texas has ever been this competitive, at least in my lifetime. So uh, if Sark puts a good product on the field, I think a lot of kids will hop on board, but if he doesn't, I think a lot of kids, you know, th- there's no shortage of options. So, uh, you know, I, I wrote an article um, earlier this summer about how, you know, Texas opens with Louisiana Lafayette, uh, who's going to be a ranked team. And then uh, from there goes to Arkansas, which is a tough environment. And then you know, plays, you know, probably the most competitive the Big 12's ever been this coming season. So uh, the pedal hits the floor really early. It never, uh, it never, the, the degree of difficulty never goes down really from there. So it's going to be a really interesting fall where I a lot of different outcomes are in play. Yeah, whenever I look at the the schedule for for Texas this fall, I was you know just thinking to myself, I'm like, man, if he could win you know eight or nine games th- this season and really set himself up for that 2023 recruiting class that that Arch Manning and a lot of those guys that were on campus this weekend are a part of, and then kind of moving over to the SEC, had four coaching hires. Josh Heifel, Brian Harson, Shane Beamer, and Clark Lee. Which which of those kind of were were you the most fan of? When you talk about you know Shane Beamer and Clark Lee, I think those were the two best fits for those schools specifically. Being able to understand those schools, 
Shane Beamer's been at South Carolina before. Cart Lee's a, a Vanderbilt alum, so I thought those were two really great hires that really understood the landscape, really understood the school. Then Brian Harson, I thought, was a really nice out-of-the-box hire, bringing in some fresh ideas to the SEC, going to handle the roster management there at Auburn. Just What do you make of the, the SEC coaching hires, or is there anyone that you're a huge fan of? Yeah, I really like the Brian Harson hire at Auburn. Uh, I think in in college in college football, sometimes we get too hung up on fit, and we forget sometimes. Can this, the ultimate question is, can this guy really coach? Uh, you know, not to put too much pressure on him because uh, these two guys are the best to ever do it, at least in their generation. But Nick Saban had never coached in the SEC till he got to LSU. Urban Meyer never coached in the SEC till he got to Florida. And you know, those guys ran the league or are still running the league, obviously in Saban's case. So. Um, you know, Brian Harson could have spent the rest of his life coaching at Boise and made a lot of money, won a lot of Mountain West titles, and ended up in the College Football Hall of Fame someday. But he he bet on himself, knowing full well that the that uh, Alabama's not slowing down anytime soon, Georgia not slowing down anytime soon, and said, "Yes, this is what I want. I want to go to maybe the the hardest job." Uh, in college football, you can make that argument in Auburn, and I, I want that challenge. So I, 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 I like it in that respect, just because uh, Harson bet on himself, and I, I'm always going to respect someone that bet on himself. And then at the same time, you know, I really respect that Auburn went and got an outside the box hire and didn't just go get, uh, you know, Billy Napier. Not not to discredit Billy Napier because he's a great coach, but just the hot up and coming guy with SEC ties and uh, really took a risk in that. So I, I like it from both hires and I really hope from both sides of the hire and I really hope it works out. Yeah, I do, I do too. I really, really hope it does too, because I, I was really a huge fan of, of the hot, the hire and especially with the staff he's put together, bringing in some, some, some SEC guys in Mike Bobo and Derek Mason's offensive defensive coordinators, but bringing in some of those guys with the fresh ideas, guys he's brought from Boise. think it's going to be really, really need him recruiting just interested to see what he does and it's kind of looking ahead to to the fall you know we still got the 14 playoff this year who are some of the the dark horses for the playoff that you that you may be looking at you know not the Alabamas the Clemsons of the world when you look at Georgia adding Eric Gilbert and Darian Kendrick this is probably Kirby Smart's best opportunity to win the national championship outside of the the 2017 playoff that they were in but and, you know, teams that can knock off Clemson in the ACC, look at a team like North Carolina. You know, who are some of the the dark horses, you know, outside of the the Georgias and the North Carolinas that you're looking at possibly for the playoff this year? Uh, you know, I, I think USC is going to be interesting. Uh, obviously, they were uh, uh, undefeated until right up until the, the Pac-12 championship game. Um, maybe in a normal year, they probably would have been knocking out the door. Um you know, I, I think Iowa was a great, uh, really underrated team last year. Uh, they were just a couple points away from going undefeated. Iowa State is going to be interesting. You know, uh, I mean, I think it was 1912 the last time they won an outright conference title. They were going to have the best team that they've ever had this season. Um, but I, I really think we're having two different conversations in, in regards to dark horses. It's, you know, there's probably 12, 15 different programs that can make the playoff, but if we're talking about who can actually win this thing outside of Alabama and Clemson and, you know, I, I'll throw Ohio state in there. 
I, uh, I'm looking at Georgia and Oklahoma. And it, I, it's admittedly, admittedly ridiculous to say that those programs are dark horses, but uh, I'd say if the, those are both programs that if they don't win it this year, it's going to be a lot of, well, if not now, when are you ever going to do it? Like, as, as you mentioned, Georgia, most talented team that they've had in a long, long time. Uh, you bring back JT Daniels, bring back Todd Munkin, obviously added Eric Gilbert. So if you don't do it now, when Alabama's retooling a little bit, obviously Alabama retools every year, but replacing everything they lost, replacing Sark, Kyle Flood on, on the offensive staff. If you can't do it now, when are you going to do it? Um, you, Kirby Smart's going to hear a lot of those questions that Mac Brown heard uh, before 2005. And then Oklahoma, uh, this is going to be the most complete team that they've had probably since 2003. You know, that, that, that epic team that uh, should have won the national title. Um, because Alex Grinch has, has done exactly what he was hired to do and take that, that Oklahoma defense from a dead limb hanging off of, you know, a carcass hanging on, off of an active body to an, a, a strength, a weapon. Uh, that, that Oklahoma defense has gone from just okay to actually really good. And, you know, they're forcing turnovers, which it, it took a couple years to get there, but they're, they're really good on that side of the ball. And then you bring back uh, Spencer Rattler, uh, Marvin Mims, Kennedy Brooks. Uh, so this is, you know, they're going to be preseason number one or two. So again, I don't know if you can call them a dark horse, but they can actually win the national title this year, which I think makes them their own kind of dark horse. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with that. And, and you know, Georgia, you know, we talk about them. There's been a lot of talk about it. You know, this is Kirby's best team. If he doesn't win it now, win but to me it's it's just a matter of it's just a matter of time for for kirby smart and georgia to win national championship you know you talk about all the recruits they're bringing in all the talent they're bringing in it's just a matter of time you know if if it's not this year it could possibly be you know next year year after that if you keep giving yourself those opportunities you're going to get one eventually yeah and uh you look at Dabo eventually you know what he did to win his championship in in year seven year eight you know, that really doesn't happen in college football or uh, in sports in general. And the amount of coaches that win their first title after year three is, is really low. So obviously Kirby's outside of that threshold. So when you invest as much as Georgia's investing and when you get signed the players at Georgia is a lot of times, you know, you can panic and think, oh, my gosh, Kirby's not a good enough game day coach. We got to we got to get someone in here that uh, can uh out, out execute out, X and O somebody because Kirby can't do it. So if it doesn't happen this year, it'll be really interesting. It's interesting theater to see if Georgia has enough uh, gumption enough to, to, to hold their water institutionally from the donors on down to, to keep riding with Kirby. If you don't do it this year. It's been amazing to me to see the transformation of that Oklahoma defense that you were talking about. Alex Grinch was hired to to do this job. They kind of developed this speed D kind of approach, and he's he's really turned that that defense around, making Oklahoma a, a complete team. And this, you still got the offense with, with Spencer Rattler. They're going to be explosive this season. So this possibly could be Oklahoma's best opportunity as well as Georgia's. Yeah, and uh, what they've really done, obviously, you mentioned the speed, but uh, they've gotten a lot of size in the in the in the secondary. Uh, the late Mike Stoops defenses, uh, they were really small back there, and they got pushed around um, by a lot of different. I mean, Kansas went to went to Norman and put forty on them in two thousand eighteen, uh, and so uh, 
you know, the, I think, you know, they had a lot of five, nine guys playing corner and safety. And now if you're not six, one or taller, you're not getting an offer from Alex Grinch to play in the secondary. And so they've, they've got guys that, that are big that, and can also run. And so, you know, that, that's obviously paid off for them. And, and, you know, this is another one of those because for, for Oklahoma, um, you know, Lincoln Riley's not going anywhere. I, I really, I truly believe he, he likes the recruiting aspect of it. And so there's no reason, you know, most guys get out of college football because they don't like recruiting, but if you like recruiting, there's no reason to get out. So I really don't think he's leaving anytime soon, but it's only a matter of time before Alex Grinch gets a head coaching job. And so uh, what are the odds that the, the next guy is going to be as good as he is? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, and Zach, it's been, a, been an awesome conversation today. Thanks. Thanks again for, for agreeing to do this and, We'll definitely have to do it again before the season starts and, and during the season as well. But tell everybody where they can find you on social media and where they can read uh, your stuff at Football Scoop. And, again, I just really thank you so much for taking time today, and we'll definitely do it again. Yeah. I um, mean, you know, on Twitter, you, you've got my uh, username there, and then on Football Scoop uh, all day, every day. So uh, thank you for having me. Uh, you're, you're welcome. And thanks so much to, to Zach for coming on today. And thank you for watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. It's been another edition of Crunch Time Plays. God bless everybody.